Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. We're in a series entitled The God Questions. Now, usually when you think about the God Questions, you think about questions that are deep questions about God. Does God exist? Uh, what kind of God is God? Where did evil come from? Where did it originate? Those are the kind of questions you normally think about when you think about the God questions. But that's not the focus of this series. This series, when we talk about the God questions, we're talking about the questions God actually asked in Scripture. There are lots of them. Uh, in my first message in this series, we looked at the first question God ever asked, and He asked it in, in Genesis chapter 3, the same chapter where we'll be today. And that question was, where are you? It is a theological question that deals with you and your relationship with God. When God was asking Adam and Eve, where are you? He wasn't asking their location. He wasn't asking where they were in their point in a, a healing process. He was asking them, where are you in your relationship with me? It's a question where we all must start. Where are you? Now, the second question is also found in Genesis chapter 3. So I want you to return there with me. I'll begin again with verse 1. The second question that God ever asked is recorded to have ever asked anybody. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Question number one. And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Have you ever had a dream? A dream, one of those kinds of dreams that's so real that you literally don't think it's a dream. You think that it is real life. And in this particular dream, you're in a crowded place. Only to, only to realize that in that crowded place, you are naked. Uh, it's happened to me. 
Uh, and in my dreams, happened several times in dreams, uh, and it's kind of like the Lord plays a trick on me in my dream because every time I dream this dream where I'm in a crowded place and I'm uh, virtually naked, it's church. <laughs> and I'm about to preach. I'm about to get up to preach. And just as uh, the last chorus is being sung, I look down And all I have are my notes and my underwear, and that is it. And in every time I dream this dream, I go into a panic. I mean, uh, at that point, somewhere along the way, I I I wake up and I'm in a cold sweat. The people in the congregation are in a cold sweat as well. (laughs) Waking up naked. We don't want to be naked. I don't want to be caught naked or even close to naked in front of you. And of course, you don't want that either. Not long after we came here in 2000, I went to visit a man. He was terminally ill. Uh, He and his wife lived a little piece out from the town of Palmetto. And uh, I went to, for the purpose of visiting this man. Now, his wife quite often would babysit their grandchildren while the parents, the children's parents, were at work. And so I found this couple's home, and I pulled up in their drive, walked up to the door, and I rang the doorbell, and I waited. There was nothing. I rang the doorbell again, and I waited, and again, There was no answer. But I heard movement on the inside of the house. Now, I'm thinking, well, maybe the doorbell doesn't ring, and so I I, I will knock on the door, and if nobody answers then, then, you know, I'll I'll go. So I, I knock on the door. I hear movement on the inside, and finally, after a few moments, the doorknob slowly turned, and the door slowly opened wide, And there, standing in the door, was their three-year-old granddaughter, and she was stark naked. And she didn't mind it at all. I mean, it didn't bother her. I mean, I I know I immediately went red, but it didn't bother her. In fact, she struck kind of a dancer's pose up against the door. And I'm standing there, and she looks up at me and says, well, who are you? And I, 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 I kind of leaned down at a 45 degree angle and I said, I, I'm, I'm the preacher from the church. Are your grandma and grandpa here? She goes, nope. And she kind of twirls around naked. Now, I knew her grandma and grandpa were there. Uh, and it wasn't that she lied to me. She didn't call them grandma and grandpa. So when I said to her, are your grandma and grandpa here? She didn't know what I was talking about. And so she says, nope. And I said, are you here alone? She goes, nope. And then there was a pause and she looked up at me like, do you have any other questions for me? And finally, she turned around without even uh, acknowledging anything else about me. She leaves the door open, leaves me standing at the door, and she goes waltzing right out of the living room and around the corner, her little hiney just shining right up at me like a spotlight. (laughs) 
And I'm thinking, what, what am I going to do now? A few moments passed, and thankfully, she comes back around the corner with her grandma. Now, the girls still start naked. The grandma comes out. She doesn't know that I'm at the door. And she looks at the door, sees me, and she goes, oh, and she wraps herself around the granddaughter. She starts apologizing for the granddaughter's nakedness. The granddaughter never did apologize. In fact, the granddaughter started screaming because grandma was wrapped around her on a death hold and took her back around to the back room. And then the grandma came back out and I had a visit with them. She was naked, but she was not ashamed of it at all. Didn't bother her in the least. She thought it was just another day at grandma's. I saw that girl a few weeks ago. She's 13 now. I know that she probably has no recollection of opening that door for me that day when she was three years old and naked. And I will bet you, in fact, I, I, I know this to be true. There is no way in this world that she would open that same door naked for me or anybody else today. Now, what happened? Somewhere between that day 10 years ago when she opened up that door as a three-year-old girl naked, sometime between that day and today, she became aware of the fact that it is inappropriate to be naked in certain circumstances. Somewhere she went from being naked and not having a care in the world about it, to being naked and feeling shame about it. Now, if you can think about that, you can get a pretty good idea of what was going on with Adam and Eve. They had always, up to this point in chapter 3, they had always been naked. And like the three-year-old girl who answered the door, it was not a problem to them. It was another day in Eden. They were both naked, and they were fine with it. But then they sinned. Then they, they took of a forbidden fruit, and all of a sudden, things changed. Things changed. Now, I'm not so sure that things changed necessarily between them right away. I, I, what I'm saying is, and, and this text is really silent about this, I'm not sure that all of a sudden after Adam and Eve ate that fruit that they looked at each other and were ashamed to be in each other's presence naked. I'm not sure that happened. It may have. But I, I do know this, that at that point they became ashamed of their nakedness in the face of God. Now, uh, some people, I read one a counselor, he's a counselor by the name of Sam Joman. He said this, he says, this is the most fascinating question God asks in all of Scripture. Who is it that told you you were naked? Perhaps uh, we can understand it a little bit better if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, the last verse of chapter 2. It's a very interesting verse and it ties in directly with this second question from God. Here's what Genesis 2, uh, 25 says. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is the three-year-old girl who answered the door for me. 
they were naked and felt no shame. But now, in the middle of chapter 3, things are different. They have eaten a fruit that God said, don't eat. And immediately they, they, they had an awareness of themselves. And in the face of God, and maybe in the, in the presence of each other, they had a, a shame about their nakedness. And Adam and Eve become the first fashion designers. They put together clothes made of fig leaves. And they hid among the trees of the garden. You know, a lot of times when I read this, I don't know if you have been the same way, but I think about them hiding among the bushes. The scripture says they hid among the trees of the garden. And the Bible says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And God said to the man, where are you? And Adam gives a a kind of a roundabout answer that doesn't really answer the question. He says, well, we heard you walking in the garden and we were naked and we were uh, ashamed and so we hid ourselves. He still hasn't told God uh, locationally where he is. He didn't answer the question by saying, well, we're in the trees, God. You know, kind of like whenever you, you were a kid and you used to play hide and seek hide and seek and you were the person who was it you know hello and you were it and you go looking for some people there's always that kid who wants to be found everybody else does not want to be found but there's one kid who wants to be found and you you're kind of if you're it you're kind of sneaking around and all of a sudden you hear you hear somebody say here I am Adam didn't say we're up in the trees He said, we heard your voice and we were naked and we were ashamed. So we ran and we hid ourselves. And God's God then asked this next question. Who told you that you were naked? It's an odd question, I think. I don't know why God uh, didn't just leave out that question and go straight to the next question, which was, uh, did you eat? Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? You know, he could have done that and we, we could have not even had that second question at all. But God says, who told you that you were naked. What does this question mean? It's a question that went unanswered. Adam did not answer the question. It may be one of those cases where God asked the question and then didn't give Adam the opportunity to answer it, but went directly to the third question. That may have been what happened because in the verse, it seems like he says, uh, uh, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? Maybe God didn't give Adam an opportunity to answer it. But the fact of the matter is, it went unanswered. We're not told directly in the text who it was that told Adam that he was naked. Was it Eve? Was it Satan? Was it God? Was it his conscience? Was it the Holy Spirit? We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. So, we're left to wonder, what did this question mean? There are two different schools of thought about what this question, who told you that you were naked, actually means. On the one hand, there are those who understand this question to be one of interrogation and confrontation. They say it was a question used to draw Adam and Eve out to the realization of their sin. It was a question that God used for the purpose of exposing their sin. 
And there's some support for this view. In fact, the, the question that God followed up with this one seems to suggest that indeed this second question was a question of confrontation and, and, and interrogation. That third question was, have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And if that is the case, and this is a question of interrogation, then the question, who told you you were naked, we could actually summarize it or rephrase it in a different way. Who told you that one compromise, one little compromise wouldn't hurt? It's kind of like the uh, commercials on television that I think are so effective about uh, uh, methamphetamines, which is such a rampant, rampant scourge upon Our nation, it is ruining the lives of young, old, up and down, rich and poor, all the way across. And you've seen the commercial that says, don't even try it once, not even once. And the implication of that is, who told you that one little snort of it, one little smoke of it, one little compromise wouldn't hurt? Who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? I read about a conservative uh, country church in uh, the the country of uh, out in the country in Indiana, and one day they were in church, and this guy walked in. He was a Harley Davidson motorcycle rider, and it was obvious. He had a long ponytail. He was his his face was kind of leathery. Uh, his his uh, pants and his vest were leather. You could see tattoos that were coming up above his shirt collar, on both sides of his neck, and then there was a full, small tattoo on the, on the back of his, on the nape of his neck. I mean, he had the look. He had a, a, a wallet that was chained to his belt loop, and the chain was, was wrapped outside uh, into his pocket, and you could hear it jingle as he came walking in. He had black motorcycle boots on. I mean, he was the real McCoy, and he came in, and he sat down, and the church people were like, they were shocked. But they were good to him, and they showered him with love, and they welcomed him. A lot of people went and talked to him. They invited him out to lunch, and it wasn't uh, too many weeks after that. He kept coming to the church. They won him to the Lord. He became a Christian, but there was one lingering question that they always had about him, and that was that he always wore long sleeve shirts, even in the middle of July, always wearing long sleeve shirts, sometimes thick long sleeve shirts. And one day somebody dared to ask him why. And he wouldn't tell him. So the pastor asked him one day in a private conversation, why? And he said, well, he said, pastor, here's the deal. He said, on my right forearm, I've got a tattoo of a naked woman. And I don't want anybody in the church to see it. I'm ashamed for him to see it. He didn't used to be ashamed of it, but now he was. And so some time passed, and one day, the guy comes into the pastor's office in the middle of the week, and he, he, he pulls out his collar, unbuttons it, and he starts rolling it up. He says, Pastor, you want to see my tattoo right here? And the pastor's like turning all, all colors of pale. And, and he, when he pulled it all the way up, he said, you know that tattoo of a naked lady I, write, I had right here? He said, I went to the tattoo artist and had him put clothes on her. <laughs>
Now, that was a whole lot better than that sloppy joke Barry was going to tell. I'm going to tell you right now, man. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that there was a naked lady on, tattooed on your forearm? San Joman said, nakedness can be such a symbol of shame. He said, when we say we feel naked, what we mean is we feel ashamed, we feel exposed, we feel like we're, we've been caught with our pants down as the saying goes, and we carry it unnoticed, unnoticed until we're seen by somebody. Think about that. This shame we carry unnoticed until we are seen by somebody, somebody different. I believe that Adam and Eve, this is my personal opinion, I went, when, when they were naked and realized it, I don't think it bothered them to see each other naked. They had been seeing each other naked. But it bothered them when the only other person on the planet at that time who was God, God saw them and suddenly... Their shame became noticed. It's kind of like if you're driving down the road on Interstate 85 and you're picking your nose. I mean, you are cleaning that baby out. You are picking your nose and you come up on uh, you come up and, and it's early on a early on a, uh, a Tuesday morning. And you you come up on bumper to bumper traffic. You are cleaning out that nose. I mean, heavy handed and you stop and you turn and somebody in the next car is looking at you. And all of a sudden, what do you do? Maybe you stop picking that nose. Why? Why? Because you don't want anybody to see you picking your nose. All of a sudden, you're ashamed of picking your nose. It, it went unnoticed. The shame went unnoticed until somebody saw it. It's kind of like sitting in the mall. Like some of you, we, some of us guys do when our wives are shopping and we're with them and we're sitting on that park bench in the middle of the mall while she's uh, in Kirkland's or Macy's or wherever. And we're sitting there and all of a sudden there's somebody who goes by and they're just interesting. I mean, there's something unique about them. And, and, and we don't realize it, but we, our, 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 our observation turns into a stare. Has that ever happened to you? And, and you're staring at that person and all of a sudden that person looks at you. <laughs> and what do you do? Yeah, we're ashamed to be caught looking. All of a sudden, the shame that had gone unnoticed had all of a sudden become noticed. Some people see this question as a question of interrogation and confrontation meant to expose Adam and Eve's shame. On the other hand, there are those who who see this question as one of, of loving affirmation and acceptance. Loving affirmation and acceptance. That sounds totally different from the first understanding of this question. Jonathan Acuff is an author, a Christian author. He wrote a book entitled Stuff Christians Like. He has a daughter. In one place, he, he tells about when he was young and his children would get boo-boos. You know boo-boos? A scratch on their finger or their knee. On their elbow, maybe on the cheek. And they would come in to him and he said, I became an expert at applying princess bandages. 
bandages with a cartoon princess printed on the, the surface of the bandage. They said, I became an expert at it. Every time they would have a boo-boo, they'd run to daddy or mommy, and we would, we would clean off the scrape, and then we'd apply that princess bandage. He said, but when, when my daughter turned five years old, all of a sudden everything changed. He said, I didn't even realize it. It changed without me even being able to see it. He said, one day she had fallen outside playing, and she had scraped her forehead. Evidently, when she fell, she fell head first into uh, the ground, and her forehead was skinned, and it was bleeding. And he got a, a sterile wipe, and he, he cleaned the surface of that wound, and he went into the house and like he'd always done and got a princess bandage and he started to apply it to the forehead of his five-year-old and she started crying and she backed away from him. And he said, honey, what's the matter? She said, I don't want to wear that bandage, daddy. He said, honey, you, you got a scrape on your forehead. You need a bandage. She said, it'll make me look silly. And he said, I was taken back by what she said. It would make me look silly. She said, he said, now, if I had been a quick thinker, he said, I would have come back and said, honey, who told you that it would make you look silly? Somewhere along the way, she went from wearing princess bandages and not being afraid of it, not being ashamed of it, to all of a sudden wearing a princess bandage. Somebody, somewhere told her, Oh, you ought not to wear those. Those are for kids. Those are for sissies. You need a Batman bandage. <laughs> whenever we were, whenever our kids were younger, uh, Hillary's favorite color was pink. I mean, she'd be wearing the color that Sarah Cochran has on, which is beautiful pink, by the way, Sarah. She would wear pink all the time. Pink shoes, pink shirts, pink dresses, pink shorts, pink pants. She'd occasionally have a pink ribbon. If she had, uh, if we were at a, some sort of a tea party kind of uh, get together where there were uh, kids dressing up, she would have a man to get her some white lace gloves that had pink ribbons. It was pink this and pink that and pink everything. And one morning she was, she was getting up, Amanda was getting her up to get, get her ready for school. And, she, and Amanda had, had uh, reached in her closet and selected uh, a pink outfit to wear. And Hillary came in. She said, Mom, I don't want to wear that. She said, why? That's one of your favorite outfits. She said, no, I, I don't want to wear pink. She said, pink's your favorite color. She said, pink's for babies. Who told you that pink is for babies? Now, if you understand this question this way, you have to, you have to feel the hurt in God's voice as he asks this question. There's a deep sadness, the sense of a father who is holding a daughter who for the first time ever has wrapped herself in shame. Who told you that wearing pink was for babies? Who told you that wearing a princess bandage was silly? 
Who told you that you're not pretty enough? Who told you you're not smart enough? Who told you that you were a wuss? Who told you that I didn't love you? And who told you you were ugly? And who told you you're not a good father? And who told you you're not a good mother? And who told you that without a job you weren't worth anything? And who told you you'd never amount to anything? And who told you that it's too late to start over? And who told you you'd never be forgiven for what you've done? Who told you that, God said. Who told you that you were naked? At one time, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed, but now they feel shame because of their nakedness. What a question. Who told you that you were naked? Do you remember, do you have any recollection of the first time or the first period of time in which you began to experience shame over things that before that time you never felt shame over? When you discovered that people might think you were silly or dumb or, or uh, not a good whatever. Do you remember when somebody told you you were naked and you were ashamed? And I hear God saying to Adam and Eve, Adam, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? And if this question is understood this way, God is by implication saying, you're not naked. You're not naked. Because in Christ, we are not naked. If you're in Christ, you're not naked. You're not worthless. You're not hopeless. You're not dumb. You're not ugly. You're not forgotten. You haven't wasted your life. In Christ we are not naked. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says this, For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. You are not naked. So what about this question? What do you think it is? Is it a question of confrontation and interrogation? God exposing, drawing out an awareness of our sin? Is that what it is? Or is it a question of affirmation and acceptance? What, what is it? What is it? You can decide for yourself. For me, I believe it's both. Because I believe that we serve a God who, number one, loves us too much to let us continue the way we are. And so, yes, he will ask this question to draw out an awareness of our sin and to confront us, even interrogate us. Yes, he will. You say, why does he hate me that much? He doesn't hate you that much. He loves you that much. When you as a parent interrogate your child when they've been in trouble, you're not doing it to beat the daylights out of the child, hopefully. You're doing it because you love the child. But at the same time, I believe it's also a question of affirmation and acceptance. It is intended to confront Adam at the point of his sin, while at the same time assuring Adam that in spite of everything, God still loves him and would be there to provide for him. Sarah Arms wrote an article in Today's Christian a few years ago about her seven-year-old daughter, who she says was quite a a theologian for a seven-year-old And they had a devotion. She had a devotion with her every morning. And on one day they were talking about what Adam and Eve did, eating the forbidden fruit, and how not only sin entered in the world, but it affected all of creation. Even to the point of of sicknesses, she said. And that day in the middle of the school day, she was called and Sarah was 
called to find, found out, find out that her daughter was sick. Come get her. She's sick. And she went and got her daughter and she brought her home. Late that night, she was trying to nurse her to some good health. And her little girl spoke up and she said, you know, if, if only Adam and Eve hadn't eaten that fruit, I wouldn't be sick, mommy. And before Sarah could answer, her seven-year-old girl then said, of course, if they didn't eat it, we'd be sitting here naked, wouldn't we? <laughs> God loves you enough to confront you over your sin. But God also loves you enough that in spite of your sin, He wants to accept you, He wants to affirm you. That means that the decision is in your hands. And it's a decision that says, I want God in my life. I want Christ, Jesus Christ, in my life, my Savior, my Lord. I want Him in my heart. And when you make that decision, and I hope you will at this service, God looks at you and He says, you are not naked. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Your love for us is greater than we can understand. You love us enough to confront us when we are sinful, when we're wrong. But You don't leave us with that interrogation, that confrontation, that exposure. You clothe us in Your grace and Your affirmation and You accept us as we are. And You begin the process of changing us to what You want us to be. My prayer is, Lord, that somebody in this congregation right now will come to receive you as their Savior and Lord. And I, my prayer is also that someone who's already saved, already received you as Savior and Lord, but Lord, they feel beat down right now for some reason. I pray that they'd come to realize they're not naked. You haven't abandoned them. You still love them regardless. Your love is unconditional. Lord, I pray that someone here who's not a member of this church officially would, would step out and come and say, I'm a Christian and I know the Lord and I want to, uh, I want to join this church. Lord, I pray that you'd move right now in Jesus' name. Amen.